The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, welcome back to the 2017 Major League Baseball season. This is our seventh consecutive year on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we talk about, again, the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And last year was a magical, magical season for the Cleveland Indians. We're hoping it's going to be the same way again this year for the Reds. They've got a lot of upside coming into the 2017 season, and in order to talk about them, we go down to our resident Reds expert near Cincinnati, and that is Mark Donahue. Mark, seems like just a few years ago we started this show. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I think I'll have to play the 1990 tape of the Reds winning the World Series. That's it's been so long. You you got your tape now, and. Uh, that's the only one I can go go play. So, anyway, congratulations to the Indians. Uh, last year, what a great year! And I, I got to tell you, I don't think there's a stronger team in baseball right now than the Cleveland Indians, Dave. Well, you know, I, I sit back and I look at the Cubs, and I think the Cubs are a little weaker than they were a year ago, Mark. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and I, I think teams, as they do. They will deal with the with the Cubs. They will learn to deal with them, and the Cubs are going to have to come back and, and show that they are as good as they could be or or think they are. But winning that second is, is a lot tougher than winning the first. And uh, I think the Cubs have some things to prove fans and around the country that uh, you know they're around to stay. But you know what? They won it. The Indians didn't. The Indians now have. If I'm not mistaken, the longest drought of any team in Major League Baseball without winning a World Series championship. Yeah, that uh, doesn't surprise me. I mean, of course, the Red Sox, up until a few years ago, held that dubious distinction. But, uh, you know, I think the Cubs, uh, you know, they can, uh, they can, or the, the Indians can go a long way this year. That I tell you, that. That team you have, I, I was looking at the roster before we went on the air. That's a scary roster, and, and your lineup is, is absolutely frightening. Uh, how do you see it? Well, I'm looking at right now, I think, let's start out by the biggest acquisition I think any team made this year, and maybe I'm a little, uh, I, I guess, uh, stubborn about it, Edward Arcanacion. Encarnacion, Mark, was a guy that I think a lot of teams targeted. For some reason, whatever the reason, his market value went completely down. I never thought the Indians would ever come up with $20 million a year, but they did, and they did it for a guy that has been the number two RBI man in Major League Baseball over the last five years. I think it's a heck of a move. I think Mike Napoli really, really was a great leader on this team last year. He was a great cleanup hitter. He was one of the main reasons that this team went through the World Series. But in the playoffs, he didn't deliver. Edward Carnacion, I'll tell you one thing, Mark, against the Indians in the playoffs, he delivered. In the wild card game, he delivered. He's always delivered when Toronto has made the playoffs, whenever he's been in postseason play. Encarnacion has delivered. And I think it's a time right now that, hey, he's got his payday. He's the guy that the Indians are counting on now. He's going to be the cleanup hitter. He's going to be bouncing back and forth between first base and DH, just like Napoli did a year ago. I think it's a great pickup for the Indians. I think it's the best one of any team that made in the offseason. Yeah, I agree with that. And I remember you saying uh, after, uh, I guess, near the end of the year of 2016, that you didn't think that the Indians would step up and, and sign him. 
And uh, I'm glad for the Indians' sake they did because I think, number one, they got a great deal uh, on him, relatively speaking. And and secondly, I think what he adds to that team makes them even better than last year. But when you add Brantley to that lineup, too, I mean, you're talking about a devastating lineup left and right, power, speed, defense, pitching, bullpen. Uh, you know, it's it's a pretty compelling argument to say that if the Indians don't win the division, it, it's going to be an upset. I mean, they're, I, I can't remember since you and I started doing this show, and even maybe 10, 15 years before that, that you can look at the Reds or Indians and say, yeah, they're going to win it. And if the Indians don't win it, uh, I think it would be a huge upset and a huge disappointment for a lot of Indian fans. Well, you've got to look at look at the Central in the American League, Mark. And, and years ago it was the best division of baseball. Now I don't think it's anywhere near that. But Kansas City, two, three years ago, one of the best teams in baseball. They've fallen off the pack. Detroit. Under Mike Illich, they had always spent a lot of money. Now Illich is gone. You don't know what their ownership situation is. You know they're not going to spend any money because right now the team is in a state of flux as far as where the money is going or where it's coming from, wherever. So they're going to have a problem there. You've got the White Sox who are rebuilding. They may have had, though, Mark, the White Sox may have had the best offseason of any team. I said the Indians may have had the best acquisition in Encarnacion. The White Sox as a team, Mark, they may have had the best offseason of any team in baseball. They did, but when you give away Chris Sale, uh, you know, to get there, I, I think the, the White Sox may be where the Indians were a couple years ago. Uh, I, I think they're obviously a much better team overall, certainly more depth on the 40-man roster. I don't know if that is going to play out this year or not. Uh, you know, Chris Sale was a, was a stopper, and when you give him away, even though they got a great haul in return, I'm just not sure it's going to it's going to materialize in 2017. Could be wrong, but uh, I still think the, the Indians, position for position, are stronger than the White Sox. You know, you're going to find this hard to believe. This is going to be my first controversial statement of the year. I think addition by subtraction for the White Sox, getting rid of Chris Sale. I think he he had worn out his welcome. In Chicago, and I think they're just happy to get rid of him. Yeah, on the other end of that trade, of course, is what that did to the Red Sox. But uh, you know, they gave up Moncada. Um, I mean, he, he's a stud, and uh, the White Sox. I, I think next year or the year after, I would I would be afraid of them. Uh, but Chris Sale, I think, could make the Red Sox if not the best team in the American League after the Indians, certainly give the Indians a run for their money. That, that, that's a pretty strong ball club. Uh, if they get all their pitching back, everybody's healthy. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a very, very good ball club. But if, if you look at the divisions in the American League, I, I think the runaway favorites in the East are Boston and the Central uh, Cleveland. In the West, it's a little more wide open. I don't see a, you know, a killer team out there. Uh, but certainly with Boston and Cleveland, uh, you've got two of the strongest teams in baseball. Well, before we get into the Indians and Reds, I've got one question. First of all, how in the world does Mike Sosha continue to be the manager of the Angels, <laughs> and how in the world do the Angels continually, year after year, be one of the favorites to win the Western Division? Mark, they didn't do a thing in the postseason. They didn't. Or I mean, in the offseason. They didn't do a thing. Yeah, I know, and I think the only way that team gets better, unfortunately, is you just mentioned a minute ago, addition by subtraction. I think they have to trade Mike Trout, and not because he's not the best player in baseball. It's because he is the best player in baseball. I think if you trade Trout, uh, you're going to be able to get a haul like the White Sox did for Chris Sale, and maybe even more. I mean, Chris, Chris Sale brought a huge return to the White Sox, from the Red Sox, and I think Mike Trout uh, could do the same. And, 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 and I don't know how much longer Pujols can play. Uh, I think he's got, what, three more years in his contract, uh, and he had a good year last year. But you've got to rid yourself of those, of those players on the Angels to restock your, your organization because uh, that, that organization is going nowhere. And it's, you know, you and I have done this for the last three or four years. 
you look at their roster, especially two or three years ago, and you said, we both said, how could that team not win the division? And then they finished last. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, how could you be that off when you, you go you know, man for man on that team and you've got the best player in baseball in Mike Trout and you don't win? Yeah. So if, and, if you tra- traded Trout, you could pick up some young studs and, and in two or three, four years, you know, you know, back on top. One thing we know for certain, Mark, if Mike Trout goes to the Yankees, our old friend, Araldus Chapman, will not be going back to the Angels in return because he's got a clause in his contract when he re-signed with the Yankees. He can't be traded to any teams in California. Yeah, that's, that's right. But I don't think they... That would be a bad trade for the Angels because it's like with Chapman when he was with the Reds. When you're a mediocre team, you don't need a $15 million a year closer. Uh, you'd, you'd never use him. So I think what the Angels would be wise to do is to trade pool holes, trade trout, restock their organization, and then when you and I picked them in four or five years to win, they'd have a chance, chance to do it, but they're not going to do it this year. No, they're definitely not going to do it this year. Mark, another player that was finally dealt, and quite honestly, this trade, I think it shocked both you and I, not simply because Brandon Phillips was traded from the Reds, not because he was traded to the Atlanta Braves, who are on a youth kick, but for what the Reds got in return. Just what was that deal about from the standpoint of the Reds first? Well, it, it made no sense at all. Um, they, they're they still eating his contract, or 12 of the $13 million he's due. I, I don't understand other than they simply wanted to play the young kids, but that is an expensive deal. And I think the only way they got to – you know, I, I think if um, – who was the general manager who just quit? I wanted to forget about him so bad I did. Um, Walt Jockety? Walt Jockety. If Jockety was still in that position, I don't think they'd make that trade. Because he's the one who, if he's the one who signed Phillips to that long-term contract. And, you know, Williams is able to make that trade and say, well, that, that was Jockety's, you know, fiasco, not mine. So there's, there's so many uh, issues at hand that make that a bad deal. The only advantage is the Reds are now going to be able to play Peraza at second base, and he's having a good spring. He had a great year last year, 326 coming up. Uh, I think he came up in June or July. So, you know, he, he is a good player. But, but believe me, Dave, Reds fans are used to having Brandon Phillips at second. And until the last year, he had a, he had a tough year last year defensively. But, you know, we've had almost, what, eight, ten years of the best fielding second baseman I have ever seen. And you take it for granted after a while. I mean, I would see him make plays, just blow your mind, and four or five times a night. Just incredible plays. We're not going to see that with Peraza. But you're going to see speed. You're going to see good offense. And a good baseball player. You know, he doesn't have a lot of power, but the guy doesn't strike out very much, and he's going to get on base, and he's going to steal a lot of bases. And I I think the Reds will be more exciting with him, but if you think you're going to see Brandon Phillips a second, you're not. What about Zach Cozart? Are the trade rumors about the the Reds shortstop finally going to subside now? Yeah, I think with Dilson Herrera, Herrera going back, to the minor leagues because of a sore shoulder, uh, the, the Reds should be really happy they didn't trade Zach Cozart uh, because now they're going to need some depth. And, and Herrera, who who can swing the bat, he's going to have to go down and rehab that shoulder. And I hope you know it's rehabable because he had a he had a, this is the third time he's had a problem with that shoulder coming over from the Mets in the Jay Bruce trade. Uh, and so he's he's not lived up to expectations for sure because of that shoulder. But I'll tell you, I saw him play five or six times this spring on TV, and the guy's got a bat. I mean, he can hit. And once he has a shot to play second base, if, if he's able, uh, I, I think he can be a real contributor to the Reds. He's, he's a good defensive player. He can run. And uh, he, I think he the Reds, that was one of the few good trades I can remember them making of late. But that was a good one. I think he can be a player. Well, let me be. Let this be the first time that we've talked about this. But does Nick Senzel have a shot at being the third baseman this year? No, 
No, I, I think that would be foolish. <laughs> you don't need him. Uh, you got Suarez at third base. Uh, you know, a guy hit 26 home runs last year. Uh, hit hit almost what 250, 255. Uh, that's that's not bad. Uh, I don't know where you would move him in a couple of years uh, when Senzel comes up. But I, I think Senzel will play a Triple A ball this year. I mean, if there's an injury, you might see him. But I, I don't see any reason to to move the clock up on him. I think he, 2018 would be his year. And he's the kind of player, Dave, I think when you bring him up, he's here to stay. You know, he won't go back and forth. Uh, he, he's that good a hitter. And I saw him play here in Dayton probably ten times. And the thing I like about him is a lightning quick bat. Uh, he, he can take that. He can wait on that pitch longer than most guys can. He doesn't take a big stride. It's all forearms and hands. And he can hit. So, and I think he's a solid defensive player too. He's a, he's a good baseball player. That, that, that's what I, I use that term. He, he doesn't look like the, you know, the typical five tool guy that you think about, but you, you, you see him day, day after day after day. I'll tell you who he reminds me of is Scott Rowland. I think he's going to be that kind of player. And frankly, he's got that kind of personality. I, I think he's a guy who's pretty tough and could be a leader in the clubhouse. Well, that brings us to one of the Reds rookies that is probably going to make the team this year. Is Jesse Winker going to be the starting right fielder or left fielder this year, Mark? Uh, I'm not sure he'll be either. Um, you know, you've got uh, two guys on the corners in Shepler and uh, uh, Adam Duvall, who had pretty good years last year. Uh, I don't know where Winker fits in. And the Reds, this may be, and I have him down, I starred him here to talk about uh, Winker is a, a good, solid hitter. I don't see him ha- having outfield power, corner power. Uh, he could be trade bait. Uh, I think he's a high average guy. Uh, he's good. He's good, not spectacular defensively. A good base runner without a lot of, you know, a lot of speed. He's not a Billy Hamilton for sure. Um, I, I don't know where you put him unless you believe that Adam Duvall was a one-hit wonder, a one-season wonder. Uh, I think Shepler, uh, he's a very good outfielder. He's got good speed. He's a better athlete than than, than Winker. Uh, he's got more power. So I don't see him displacing any one of those. I'll tell you what you could do, Dave. Uh, if Billy Hamilton does not, you know, if he's hitting 220 by the All-Star break, you may see the Reds move Shepler to center field. And then there'd be a spot for Winker, but I would put him in left and put Duvall in right. Duvall's got a much better arm. So that, that's a possibility. Uh, but that's the only way I see that happening is if Billy Hamilton does not perform. But I think Billy Hamilton really took a turn for the better last year. Oh, I agree with you. And that's why I, I say I don't see Winker getting into the starting rotation because I agree with you. I think that, that Hamilton had a very good year. He hit 260. Uh, he would have stolen 75 or 80 bases if he hadn't got hurt in, in early September again. So, yeah, I mean, I think he came around with a bat. And if he continues that growth, I don't see a spot for Winker. And that's where the Reds might pull the trigger uh, on a highly touted rookie uh, who's got, you know, if he comes up, he's up for a year and he hits two, you know, hits 190, his value has plummeted. Right mm-hmm. now, you know, it's all hope. And teams would look at him and say, wow, the guy hit over 300 in the minor leagues. He's a good player. He's been the you know, number two prospect in the Reds organization. We'll give you our number two pitcher in the organization, in their organization, for him. The Reds may pull that kind of deal. But, uh, you know, it's right now I don't see where Winker fits in as a starter. Well, let's continue talking along about the Reds and what they're doing in this this spring training. We've already talked about Jesse Winker. We've talked about Brandon Phillips. Scott Feldman was today named the opening day starter on April 3rd against the Phillies. Not really much of a surprise there, Mark. No, it's not a surprise. But, Dave, when you look at the pitchers that could be in the Reds' rotation, you know, you got Feldman, who's a journeyman player. I mean, he's not a bad pitcher, but he's a journeyman. He's certainly not a, a number one starter by any means. He, 34 years he could, old. Yeah, he, he couldn't make your starting rotation. He, he's not uh, as good as you. He probably couldn't even make the bullpen. 
That's right. That's my point. I mean, and he's the number one starter for the Reds. That should tell you something. But then you got Edelman, who is a ten point six six ERA in the spring. Uh, you've got guys like uh, Garrett, uh, Romano, Reed, Finnegan, who are all I think have potential, but. Dave, these guys would not make your rotation or your bullpen, and they're they're the Reds' top pitchers. So I don't think the Reds are going to have a problem offensively this year. I think they're going to score some runs, but this pitching staff it's it's right now very scary when you lose Homer Bailey and DiScafani. I mean, those are your number one and number two pitchers. Uh, they're going to be out till June probably. So, you know, don't be surprised if the Reds repeat what they did last year, get off to a horrendous start, because I don't see how the starting rotation can, um, you know, can get major league hitters out on a consistent basis for the first two months of the year. Well, the thing that you think, and we've talked about this for the last couple of years, Mark, Robert Stevenson is dangerously close to being where you were talking about Jesse Winker could be if you bring him up and play him and he hits 190. You know, it's almost time that the Reds either have to fish or cut bait with this guy, stick him in the starting rotation, get him till the all-star break to see what he could do. You know, you've almost got to just throw the minor league, what he's done in the minor leagues, to the wall and forget about it and just see what he can do. Yeah, you're right. And, we you know, you and I have been talking, we've been on the air, what, this is our seventh year, so we've been talking about Robert Stevenson, for seven years. And I just mentioned a bunch of Reds pitchers. I quit talking about him because he hasn't, he hasn't proved anything. And I don't know if he's a head case or his stuff has been overrated by the coaches. I, I don't know what the issue is. But that organization, you're right, they, they've got a fisher cut bait with him. And right now he could make the rotation by default. And I, I think you may be right. They may stick him in there. Give him, you know, seven or eight starts, and if it doesn't work, trade him. Because, uh, I, but I don't know what the market would be then if he's come up and he, he gets lit up. But I'll tell you, I think the, the key person on this in this roster, in this forty-man roster, he's only hitting two eighty-six right now in spring training, but he seems to be healthy, and that's Devin Mesoraco. And if he can get back and be that number four hitter in that lineup along with Joey Votto and Adam Duvall and Zach Cozart, uh, Shebler. I mean, you, you've, got, you've got some punch in that, in, in that lineup. And, and Mesoraco can really stabilize the offense. But, Dave, I'm not sure it's going to do much good when you have a bullpen. Well, the bullpen should be better than last year, which isn't a high bar. But this starting rotation, I cannot remember in all the years I've followed the Reds a weaker rotation, at least on paper, than they have right now. Mark, let's get back to Mesoraco. It's never been his offense. It has been his inability to stay in the lineup. That's right. And in my opinion, it's been because he's at a volatile, injury-prone position at catcher, and he's got hips and knees that are brittle. I mean, this kid may be 27, 28 years old, but it almost appears, Mark, that he's got the legs of a 35, 36-year-old. Yeah, he's got a body type that is uh, is is not really your prototypical catcher these days. You know, the, the catchers today are smaller, they're quicker, uh, they just have a different body than than. You know, Mesoraco is what six two, two thirty, two thirty five. He's he's a big guy, and that's a tough body type to catch. And that, that used to be the prototype years ago. But now it's much quicker, quicker releases, guys who are better athletes, they can run a little better uh, because that, that position is so demanding. And I think you're right. I mean, his, his body type has not worn up well or worn out well on the um, behind the plate. And unfortunately, he can't play another position. So if he, if he gets injured again this year, you might see him going to an American League team and being a DH, and he could probably be pretty successful with that in that regard. Well, let's switch over to the Indians for the time being. We'll come back to the Reds here in just a few minutes. But as far as the Indians are concerned, you've got two guys, Mark, that are are in spring training this year, and they're trying to, as you know, we talked about Mesoraco having some injury problems. 
The Indians right now have got a couple of guys in Michael Brantley and Jason Kipnis who are trying to fight through injury problems. Now, Brantley's injury problems with his right shoulder kept him out of all but 11 games a year ago. And the Indians still went to the World Series, which I think was quite an accomplishment. But they have really been ginger with Michael Brantley during this spring training. As a matter of fact, it was just a week ago that he played in a couple of minor league games after just hitting on a tee for the first three weeks of spring training. Now, Mark, today he played in his first Cactus League game. He went two for three with an RBI. And right now, the way it's slated, he is going to be the opening day left fielder for the Indians, which is going to be a tremendous accomplishment. Like you said earlier in the show, if the Indians can return Michael Brantley to the lineup, that's quite a haul for them. Um, that's like signing, you know, a fifteen twenty million dollar a year free agent. I mean, he's he's that good, and uh, you you put him in that lineup. My gosh, that's a very strong lineup. And everything though about the Indians, I think, and with Brantley back, it's it, the gap is is less than it was last year. But you have such a great pitching staff. If if you if that team if the Indians can score four and a half runs a game. Four runs a game on average. I mean, they're they're going to be a very tough team to beat. But you add Brantley to that lineup, and they can get up to five, five and a quarter runs a game. Uh, that 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 team could win 105, 106 games this year, and that's what Brantley brings to that lineup. But and you forget he's also a pretty darn good outfielder. So uh, you've you've helped your defense in left field particularly, and you've got a you know a guy who could hit three ten, three fifteen for you. Well, let's not get carried away <laughs> as far as the wins that this team can put together because, you know, they could have one of those right now. The other guy I want to talk about is Jason Kipnis because he is a guy that the Indians are relying on to have another season like he did a year ago. He had the, the most RBIs that he's ever had in his career when he, he had 86 RBIs just a year ago. Mark, he's got a right rotator cuff problem. And when you talk about rotator cuff, that's usually a long-lasting injury. He's already set out almost all of spring training. The Indians announced yesterday he's going to be out until at least the second week of May. All right, let, let me give you something about Kipnis. Um, I think he's a good player. Uh, I think he's the kind of player, his body type, again, he's not a prototypical second baseman, in my mind. Um, I think he's a solid player. Uh, I just wonder whoever you're going to put out there uh, wouldn't have more speed, uh, you know, might be a better defensive player, maybe not have his pop. Uh, I don't think he is the, the linchpin to your success in 2017. I, I think he, you know, he, if he comes back and it's, you know, 275, drives in 80 runs. That's strong for a second baseman. Uh, I don't see him as a guy who can maintain that. I could be wrong. But uh, I don't think you're going to be hurt that much. And the gap between whoever replaces Kipnis and Kipnis, I don't think will be that that significant to that lineup. And in fact, I think what Kipnis brings, though, Mark, to the field is good leadership. I mean, this is a kid that this team follows. He, I, I believe he is, along with Lindor, the heart and soul of this team. Lindor is really, uh, has, has sparked this team, but it's Kipnis in the locker room that keeps everybody loose. That may be true, and I could be dead wrong on this, but the way Kipnis, you know, his body type, he's, he's a muscular guy, and, uh, he, I could see him hitting 235 for you this year, even if he's healthy. Just, just looking at a swing, and again, could be dead wrong. But, uh, you know, I don't care if you're, the, you know, the greatest leader of all time. If you're hitting 220, 230, you ain't leading nobody. And uh, that's, that's the way base, baseball is. He's, he's a leader on that team because he had a hell of a year last year and the year before, really. And, uh, you know, that team caught fire, and he's a great guy. I'd like to have him on my team. I'm just saying, I don't think the Indians will suffer greatly because you got some pretty good guys who could play second base. 
uh, and, and you move guys around. You, you know, you, it's not like the cupboard is bare. So no, from, an, from an athletic perspective, I bet you could put somebody out there, some of your options, and they might, they might steal you 25, 30 bases and play maybe even better defense. I don't know. You know the team's better than I, the team better than I do. But, yeah, I, I don't think he is going to be the linchpin to your success in 2017. Well, I've always thought that Jason Kipnis would, is more suited to be a third baseman than a second baseman. He came yeah. up as an outfielder. I know. I know. Uh, they moved him to second, uh, which was a good move. Um, but now I think he's more suited towards third base. But with the rotator cuff injury, if they had any thoughts about doing it this year, because really uh, you've got Jose Ramirez, who was really a find for them at third base a year ago, really solidified the third base position. He's a better second baseman than he is a third baseman, even though he was an excellent third baseman for the Indians a year ago. They're going to move him to second base. They'll mess around for the first month, month and a half of the season with either Yande Diaz, who's a minor leaguer, that's hit very, very well, had a three-run homer against the Dodgers today, his third of the spring, or Giovanni Urshela, whom I was upset last year, if you recall, that they sent him down to the minor leagues and brought in the pudgy third baseman that they cut in the month of June, and I can't even remember the guy's name now, Mark. How about putting uh, Encarnacion back at third? That was his original position. Uh, you know what? Encarnacion has not played third for a long time. We brought him in to be a hitter. Let's let him stay where he's most comfortable at, which is first base and DH, and that, that allows us to, to move Santana from DH to first base every once in a while, too. Do you think and, you know, they, that, if Kipnis is down for the year, uh, if they find that out in the next 30 days that he can't come back, do you think they'd go out into the market and try and get a third baseman? No. I, I really don't. I don't think they will. I, I think they'll stick it out with – they might even move – they might even uh, put Mike Martinez at second base and just stick with it there, put him at number nine in the batting order. Um, or they could, like I said, they they could move Ramirez – to second base, um, you, you've got a lot of avenues that you could go. Fact of the matter is, Mark, you could move Ramirez to second base and move Chisenhall back in to third base. You could do that if you wanted to. So they've got so many avenues that they could go at third base. Um, I don't think you're going to find them going out to try to find a third baseman unless somebody just hands one to them in their lap. That's the only way I see them doing it. Well, if, you know, if, that's another... the, if that's the biggest challenge the Indians have this year is who to replace at second base, that's a, that's a pretty minor thing to to be concerned about. If that's your biggest problem, because well, I think the biggest problem we've got, Mark, is the fact that the you know, and we've talked a long time about pitching. You know, I remember Pete Franklin saying the old the old three WE sports talk show host up in Cleveland. Back in the 70s, the moment you think you've got enough pitching, you don't. And, you know, we thought all year long, Mark, that the Indian starting rotation was the hallmark of this team. And what happened? When it came into the World Series, they were down to two starters and a yep. part-time starter. Yep. And, you know, and this way, you know, Carlos Carrasco, what a scare this guy had two weeks ago when they thought maybe he was going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery again, but now it appears that maybe his elbow has shaped up. Cody Anderson already is out for the year with Tommy John surgery on his right elbow. Last year he was out for most of the year with shoulder surgery. But luckily the Indians, you know, have got a couple of standby starters, and Ryan Merritt, and you hate to talk about him being a standby starter, considering what he did in Game 5 or a game four of the National League or American League playoffs a year ago. And then you've got Mike Clevenger, who was outstanding during the regular season for the Indians. So when you look at their starting rotation, Mark, they're seven men deep. But that's still not enough. Well, compared to, I, I think it's a relative not enough. Uh, when you look around baseball, uh, most teams don't have the luxury of what the Indians and the Red Sox have in starting rotation. And I think... I can't think 
Oh, the Dodgers, of course. They have a great starting pitching staff. But I think those three teams probably have the strongest pitching staffs, one through five, and maybe even six and seven uh, in baseball. I can't think off the top of my head what team would have a better starting rotation. Uh, you know, Boston has – they're loaded, and, and the Indians and the Dodgers, and maybe there's one or two more. But uh, when you compare that to some of the other teams, the Braves, the Reds, the Phillies, they don't have – one starting pitcher uh, as a number one starter. They're all number five starters, if they're that. Now, what could happen with the Reds is, uh, you know, a guy like Amir Garrett, uh, who I think it, it could be, he's my bet for rookie of the year, at least pitcher of the year. Uh, this guy is very intimidating on the mound. He's he's a former basketball player. He's played big-time basketball. He's not intimidated by a crowd. He's got a chip on his shoulder, and he throws really hard. <laughs> He's got good control. Uh, he could be your number one starter by June. But outside of that, then that's all hope. He's never pitched in the big leagues. So, you know, what you, what you guys have in Cleveland is what every team in baseball wants to have. And it, it comes very rarely when you have that kind of depth. You guys go to the World Series, you lose three of your starters, and you go to the ninth inning of Game 7. <laughs> I mean that's how strong that team is, and and that's that's a rarity. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, it is. But I mean, and the the Reds are in such a position, Mark, that they had to bring in Bronson Arroyo. Yeah. They had to bring him back. Yeah. But you know what? This guy hasn't been able to even throw a baseball for the last two years, and then suddenly in November he said he was just out in the backyard playing catch with his son, and his arm felt great. Yeah, and that tells you that tells you probably all you need to know. Now he might come back, but you have to remember when he had his best years with the Reds, he led the league in giving up home runs. In his best years, he always had like a, a three seventy eight, uh, you know, three ninety two ERA in his best years. Uh, he's a fly ball pitcher in a ballpark where being a fly ball pitcher can get you killed. And the Reds are looking to him as a possible starter. I think it tells you all you need to know about the Reds pitching staff. Well, when you've got Di Sclafani, who may have to undergo Tommy John surgery, you think he's going to have to do that, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, his his UCL is not in good shape right now. Well, it's, it was sprained, and you and I have heard this for years, that that's the first words they use to describe, you know, a, a possible tear down the road. So I hope I'm wrong. And But, you know, you look at Homer Bailey, uh, it is a, my God, the money they put into this guy, and I think he has, I think he's won 12 games since they signed him to that seven-year that seven year contract uh, at $20 million a year. Just ridiculous what they did with him. But he, he may never pitch again. And he was out all last year. He was out part of 2015. Uh, he's starting this year on the on the DL. I mean, it's it's frightening what that can mean to this organization. This will be the last time that I will. I probably won't be. What pictures did Walt Jockety have on Bob Castellini that allowed him to sign Brandon Phillips, Joey Votto, and especially Homer Bailey? To the contracts that he did, it's just, it's unbelievable. And uh, what those contracts have done to this team, uh, those guys alone were eating up about. Uh, let me see, twenty this year, twenty five million to Votto, uh, twenty million to uh, Bailey. That's forty five, and twelve. That's fifty seven million dollars to three players, that only one of whom is going to be playing. And, you know, the thing about it is, Mark, and, and, and I brought this up a year ago, I think Homer Bailey has got to go the route of John Smoltz. Just, oh, just bring him in, tell him to throw fastballs and make him your closer, if he can ever come back. I, I think that's a great idea. I mean, he's a big guy. He's a big, strong guy. He can throw hard. And he can throw hard for, for nine innings when he's healthy. And I, I think it's a great idea. I mean, that's what Smoltz did. And I think he'd be a great eighth, ninth inning guy who can come in and strike the side out. Uh, I don't disagree with that. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's very funny. You and I talked about this last year, uh, and I'll call it the Donahue theory, where, you know, the, the, this idea 
of having a series of uh, 12 starters on your team that go only three or four innings. And I'll tell you what, that pretty close is what happened last year in the playoffs. That you yeah, had, very close. You know, you had Madden doing that. You had Francona doing that to some degree. And I still think that is something that could be a trend that baseball is turning to. It certainly is going to happen. I think what's, what's happening now is the diminution in value of the closer. The guy like Chapman who can come in and throw, I mean, how many Chapmans are there? Yeah, he, he can come in and throw for the ninth inning, but that's not going to win you games. You need guys coming in in the sixth inning who can get six or eight or nine outs from the sixth through the ninth or the fifth through the seventh who can shut down the opposition, and I think that's the trend that baseball is going to because because of injury. Guys throwing 120 pitches at 95 miles an hour in the summer in Cincinnati is not good for your arm. Let's put it that way. It's just not good for your arm. But like you just said, you bring Bailey in in the seventh inning, let him pitch the seventh and eighth, he could throw 100 miles an hour and go sit down. Mark, who's a more valuable reliever? Is it Chapman or is it Andrew Miller of the Indians? Oh, I don't think it's any question. I think Andrew Miller, uh, over a course of a year. Yeah, it, it, this, you know, this is predicated on the team they play on, too, because Andrew Miller or Chapman to the Reds have no value at all, or very little value. But to a contending team like the Indians or, you know, pick a team, Boston or whatever, I think Andrew Miller is the hardest guy in baseball to hit. And and it's because of his arm angles. He throws hard. He has a great breaking ball. But he throws – his fastball comes from three or four different positions. And that slider he was throwing in the playoffs, that, that pitch is unhittable. You cannot hit that pitch. I don't care who you are. And he proved it. People couldn't hit it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I think he's I think he's a better. I don't know how you feel about it. I think he's more. If I was starting my my pitching staff, and I could draft somebody, he'd be my first pick. You know, if if I was Joe Girardi, I think I'd get on the phone, and I don't know how much information Terry Francona would give him in the thought process of how he used Andrew Miller a year ago. But I think I would get on the phone and I would just ask him what he was thinking as far as the different situations that he brought Andrew Miller in. I agree with you. I think Miller is probably the best reliever in baseball right now, only from the standpoint, Mark, that he could do anything that you ask him to do. He could come in in the fifth inning and pitch two innings, maybe even three. He could come in and close a game. He could set up the closer in the eighth inning. And I think that's the same type of pitcher that the Yankees went out and got back again in Araldis Chapman, and that's what I'm saying about Joe Girardi. If he's got Chapman, why doesn't he use him and, and use the same pattern that the Indians use Miller with? Yeah, I agree with you. And the thing about Chapman, it, it, the difference in if you look at Miller pitch his 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 motion, he's very smooth. He's you know he's he's got an unusual motion, but he's very fluid. It, it doesn't look like he's throwing as hard as he is because right. of the way he throws. He, he kind of slings the ball. Chapman, to me, it's always scared me when he was with the Reds that he was one pitch away from doing what Nolan Ryan did. Like he threw that last slider and his career was over. I mean, Chapman throws so hard, so powerfully on every pitch. This guy could break it. I'm not exaggerating. It's happened before. Pitchers have broken their arms, the torque they put on their arms. He's that kind of guy. He throws so hard and he's so strong. They say he's the strongest guy in baseball. Could hit a baseball 500 feet in batting practice. I mean, he's a fantastic athlete. But back to your question, if I could have Andrew Miller, I, I'll build around him because he can he can help my team in so many ways. Mark Sean Casey was named the Grand Marshal of the Cincinnati Downtown Parade on opening day. Uh, I'll tell you what, not a bad pick, although Sean Casey anymore has been spending a lot of his time uh, in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah, that's you know, I like Sean Casey. I think he was a good player. He wasn't a great player, but he's a very good player. Uh, but he's a Pittsburgh guy, and he, you know, he's, I, you know, I, they call him the mayor because he's got a great personality. I've met Sean a few times. He's a good guy. I like him. But you would think they would pick somebody, I guess, more 
Cincinnati-centric than a guy who ended his career. I think he ended with, with Detroit, but he played for Pittsburgh, and he born and raised there. And he, he proudly announces, you know, he, he's, a, he's a Pittsburgh guy. So, you know, I don't have any heartburn about it, but, uh, you know, I think, hey, aren't you living in Cincinnati now, Dave? I mean, they, they should have asked you. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I don't think they would want me being the grand marshal of the, uh, of the parade. But anyway, in this world baseball classic, first of all, I don't know why you call it a classic because really it's, it's not a lot of good baseball. Let, let's just, let's just call it what it is. Fact of the matter is, Mark, there's a lot of good things that kind of come out of Israel. Baseball's not one of them. I mean, I, I, Israel won their first two games, and I don't think they came within five runs the rest of the tournament. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, this thing has been playing for, what, three weeks now? Uh, I have not watched one game because I don't care who wins. And, you know, it's I can't get behind it. I think it's to me it's an exhibition series, and I know it means a lot, particularly to the Latin American players, but to all the players for that matter. I, I just don't – I'm not part of that fan base, and I, I, I don't I don't care who wins. Well, I, I watched a few games only because of two reasons. The first reason was I wanted to watch Cuba because it used to be fun to watch and see who was going to be the next guy to try to cross the Atlantic Ocean and get to Florida. That you know you 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 could almost make a drinking game out of it. All right. Secondly, it's fun to sit back and watch all these foreign players and just wonder how did they get into the United States with all of the bans that we're putting on immigrants coming into the United States. How did they do it? Well, some of the stories are literally frightening, what they had to do to, to get over here, and I admire them for that, for the really the bravery to, to, to come over here in some of the horrible conditions they had to do do it in. Uh, and the talent over there is, you know, for, for a country that small, to produce percentage-wise, the kind of talent they, they they produce is really amazing. I mean, that, that, it's an incredible situation, and I hope the the improved diplomatic situation between Cuba and the U.S. will allow those players to fly over here <laughs> rather than to have to take a raft, you know, to play Major League Baseball. It's it's terribly unfair. But uh, I, I think the talent on a per capita basis coming out of Cuba has to be some of the best in the world. Well, and and finally about the World Baseball Classic, Mark, I don't understand why it's played during spring training where it hurts the Major League Baseball teams. I mean, Francisco Lindor had to take a week away from the Indians. So did Carlos Santana. Andrew Miller played for Team USA. I'm not sure if the Reds had anybody playing on any teams at all. I know Joey Votto absolutely flatly refused to go play for Canada uh, because he said he wanted to sell out for the Reds and the Reds alone. you got to give the guy a lot of credit for that. But why is it that they play it in the month of March? Why can't they play it in the month of November? Good question. I don't have the answer to that. And you would have you could have the guys from the World Series playing in it, give it more panache. Um, but you, you just mentioned something in passing I want to amplify on is Joey Votto. Uh, two things. Number one, the second half of 2016, Joey Votto, was playing in another world. I mean, this guy hit four, I think, what, 426 in the second half of the year. And I have never seen a hitter in all the years I've watched baseball for such an extended period of time hit everything hard. When you hit 420, 426 for the second half of a year, (laughs) that's unbelievable. He started off after... I think he went into July hitting 203 or 204, ended up 326. Uh, people forget what a treasure this guy is as a hitter. And the thing I admire about Vado this year, one reason he didn't play for Canada in the, in the World Baseball Classic was he wanted to work on his defense. He wanted to go to spring training and just he said, I didn't play as good a defense last year as I should have, and I want to make it better. Now, to me, that was that was a classy thing to say. Uh, a guy hits that well for a crummy team, uh, and he, he's worried about his defense. I, I'd like to hear that. And he's a different guy. Don't get me wrong. Joey Potter's a little different, but uh, he, I really admire him as a player and a person. Well, and Edward Edwin 
Encarnacion also turned down the opportunity to go play for the DR, the Dominican Republic, and, and their baseball team, because he wanted to get to know his new teammates with the Indians. So you've got two players there who are the highest paid players on their individual team, Mark and Joey Votto and Enwood Encarnacion. And both of them, actually, if you want to know the truth, they both played minor league baseball together. They That's both right. came up with the, the, the Reds together. Yeah. And they both are outstanding leaders now for their individual teams. They both played for the Dayton Dragons. I saw them both play when they were, they were much younger. And uh, the Reds traded Encarnacion way too soon. Um, if they had just waited a year, a year and a half, for his power to catch in, I mean, they they gave him away basically, and uh, for a guy who arguably is one of the best hitters in baseball now. Yep. So, okay. Now, what have you done over the winter, Mark? Well, one of the things I did, and this is I've done this for a number of years. I, I played men's senior baseball. And I went down to the Roy Hobbs tournament the last few years, and I don't know if you know much about that 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 event. There's a, there's a there's a whole world out there of guys starting in their mid twenties all the way up into their seventies playing baseball, not softball, but baseball. And this began, uh, this emanated out of the the Dream Weeks which I, I've attended two of those as well. I went to the Reds Dream Week back in, I guess, in the 80s, once in the 80s, once in the 90s. And uh, out of that, guys said, wow, this was a week of great fun. And out of that came the senior baseball leagues. And the one in Florida is called the Roy Hobbs Tournament. And it, it I think it starts in mid-October and runs to mid-November. And you play on um, spring training ball fields, I think it's the Twins down there and a bunch of ancillary fields around Fort Myers, Florida. But it is a blast. And it's, it's, if you've, if you've played baseball in, in a little league or high school or college or even pro ball, there's a lot of major leaguers who go down there and play. It's professional. It's fun. It's the camaraderie. It's the, it's the screwing around in the dugout. But it, it, as, as much fun as the baseball is, it's just getting back with the guys again, you know, and, and having that kind of camaraderie. So uh, I've done that now probably maybe close to 20 years. I've gone down and played somewhere in, in senior baseball league. But if you've not done it, for those of you listening out there, if you've not done it, do yourself a favor. It is it is one of the most fun things you can do if you're a baseball player. And don't worry that you're no longer – you know uh, the the stud you were 20 years ago. Uh, go to the batting cages, work out, and you know, make you get in shape. But it, it, it's a lot of fun. And uh, if you haven't seen those uh, leagues and teams down there, Dave, you got to take a a week out of your busy schedule and go down and watch these guys play because it, it's a, it's a real it's a real blast. Well, first of all, every time I pass by a mirror, I know I'm not the stud <laughs> I used to be. That being said, tell us about some of the former major leaguers that you know that play in these leagues. Well, I can tell you the guys I've played with over the years. I played with Jose Cardinal, uh, played with Rich Nye, who pitched for the Cubs, mm -hmm. uh, Jerry Hairston, who, you know, his, his son is now Sox. playing for the White Sox. Uh, let me see, uh, Jim Barr, Jim Willoughby. Uh, Jim there's Barr, a lot of guys. That's right, a lot of them. Um, you see Rico Cardi, uh, those names from the past. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah brave. Uh, and and there's a lot of younger guys. I, I remember one year there was a guy for the Cardinals during the strike season. I think it was at 94. Uh, when yeah. the teams went on strike, uh, he came down and pitched that, that fall against us. And a lot, I mean, I'll tell you, the guys who play in this thing, it's amazing that the, the former major leaguers, you know, I don't think they work as hard at it as guys like me who didn't play Major League Baseball, but we played college ball. And we still work out, we still run, we still lift, all that stuff. And sometimes the Major Leaguers come down there and they get embarrassed. Uh, they, 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 they don't play very well because I think they think they can just walk on the field and play again. But unless you work out and it makes you do it because you don't, you don't want to be embarrassed. So it's it, 
I like it because it makes me get in shape. I start getting, start running and lifting and all that stuff, you know, four or five months before that week because you don't want to get hurt, number one, and number two, you don't want to be embarrassed. And you want to live up to your teammates' expectations and all that. So, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's great fun. And if you're a baseball fan, and if you're listening to us, you probably are, uh, I would look up the Roy Hobbs, uh, tournament down in Fort Myers, uh, in, in the fall and look at the age brackets. There's, there's an age bracket for everybody. So don't say I'm too old. Forget that crap. Get off your butt and start working out and get down there and play baseball again. It's fun. It, it's fun. And that's why we talk about it all year. But I tell you, it's a lot more fun to go down and play. How in the world do guys catch when they get into the 40s and 50s? I, well, 60s. Try that. There's guys down there catching nine innings, squatting. and catch. We had a guy. Oh. We played last year. We played, I think we played seven, six or seven games. He caught five of those games, and they were all seven, eight, nine inning games. He caught every day, and it was 85 degrees. But the thing that gets me is not just the catchers, the pitchers. Uh, there was a guy down there, uh, I think it was two years ago, and we, he was, I, I think he was 68 years old, 69 years old. He was about 6'4", didn't throw real hard, but he, he had a nice fastball, but he had a good breaking ball. He threw both, he threw both games. He threw 14 innings in one get, in one day, in one both games. <laughs> And he, he was a former, I think he was a Yankee farmhand at one time and uh, played in college, but he stayed in shape. Uh, didn't throw super hard. Uh, but I, I, you remember a, a reliever for the Indians named Dave Campbell? Yes. Okay. Years this, ago. I, years ago, yeah. Well, one of the teams from California brought him in. They kind of brought him in as a ringer because they put the championship game. And he threw hard. I mean, he, could throw, he was still throwing 90. And he came in to face us, and we, that's when we had a bunch of former major leaguers and college guys and all that stuff. He came in to pitch us. They paid him $5,000 to come in and play, plus his expenses to come in and pitch one game, the championship game. And we beat him like a, a rented mule. I mean, I think we got seven runs in the first inning and four in the second inning because he just tried to throw it past us, and he couldn't. He couldn't get the fastball by us, but... Uh, I'm telling you, there's some good baseball played down there, and but the thing that I, I like most about it, I forget what they call it now. It's the forever players or something, 75 and over. This is a division. <laughs> there's enough guys 75 and over playing in this tournament down there. And Do they have an they, ambulance off to the side with a cardiovascular unit inside it? Or no, what? I'm Dave, these guys are in shape. Uh, they play hard. They're, you know, they're not the players they were, but it's all relative. They're playing against guys their own age. And so they, they, they take it seriously. You, you know, you hear them cussing on the field oh, yeah. and make an error. And so it, it, there's something for everybody. And, uh, if you've not done it, I would encourage people listening to take a look at it. Well, Mark, two weeks. That means our, our forecast show will be on two weeks on April 3rd, but it also means that opening day, especially for the Reds and the Indians, will take place on April 3rd. So what is going on for these players and managers as these teams go into the final two weeks of spring training? Well, if you're a, first, if you're a rookie coming up and you have a chance to make this team, like Amir Garrett, they're not sleeping well because th- this is a life-changing opportunity for them. And, and the opportunity for the Reds is very different than the opportunity if they were with the Indians. The Indians have a set 25-man roster. They probably have a set 40-man roster for that matter. The Reds don't. So you have guys who are who wouldn't normally make this team have a chance to be in the big leagues this year. So every out they get, every if you're a hitter, every base hit you get, uh, it, it, it can change your life. So while we look at these box scores and, and these games on TV and spring training, and it's you know doesn't mean much to us, believe me, it means a lot to them, and particularly if you're in a situation like the Reds are. Well, that's going to do it for tonight's show. First one of season seven, Mark. We've got what another six months of this. Hopefully, seven months if the one of these two teams can make the World Series, like we were hoping a year ago this time. Well, if the Reds are 26 games out of first place like they were last July, can I take a couple Mondays off? 
I don't know. Talking about we'll it. have to think about that. We'll have to think about that. Hey, we'll All talk right. to you again next Monday night, Mark. All right, Dave. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Glad you could join us here this evening on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we talk to you about the Indians and the Reds. And, of course, we'll be back with you again next Monday night at 9 o'clock here on Ultimate Sports Talk. And we'll be bringing you all of the information about the Reds and the Indians in our season preview show coming up on April the 3rd, two weeks from tonight. We'll be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody.